It is said often that a quality of an instructional designer can actually be measured quickly by the quality of the educational or learning objectives in the content and material created. The reality is that educational objectives have been a point of contention even between academics dating back over our, or close to 100 years. Hello and welcome. This is Tyler and Origins, and this is our first episode of 2023. Happy New Year to all of you that are listening. This is your host, Alex Salas, and I'm glad that you're here. Today, we're diving into the craft, the science, and the art of learning objectives. Why they're needed, how, how is the best way to create learning objectives, educational objectives uh, in this episode the term educational and learning objectives will be used interchangeably and we have quite a bit to cover in terms of their origins of course there'll be discussions on bloom's taxonomy it's the most popular name of course to come across benjamin bloom creating bloom's taxonomy in 1956 and we'll give a little bit of the context and history of that but obviously there was knowledge and there was application and practice of educational objectives for at least 20 years before 1956 and that's part of what we're going to focus on the work of ralph w tyler who can be pretty much considered to be the father of modern curricular curriculum development and instruction or instructional design in a way at least from the academic side he introduced many important aspects of educational programs and planning educational programs which is systemic thinking and that involve of course the essential components of any instructional program which are the objectives the educational objectives so let's start from the beginning as we know we have the work of Ralph W. Tyler. I mean, his work, you can check it out. Links in the description here for everything that I'm discussing here in this episode. You can check out some samples there. Uh, please know that I'm limited in terms of the amount of resources or the breadth of resources that I can reach due to the fact that I do not have access to major academic databases. I do have some academic um database access and most of the searches and the findings here are a combination of searches and google scholar which is something i recommend for any learning professional and obviously also anything found on the national archives and uh, google itself so perhaps there are earlier samples or earlier notions of what a learning objective is or educational objective is but we have to start as well with the notion of the work of C.R. Allen going back to the first episode of the series in season one, which is the instructor, the man in the job cannot really overlook how much of the current knowledge, even the parallel knowledge developed in academia was uh, done there. It looks like there is a connection between Tyler and the work of World War One because he has done uh, in his 
literature, we can find some references to the paradigm shift done by this movement that we discuss in our first episode. Of course, in the book, in the book, they instructed the men in the job. There is a reference to a concept known as JOPs or jumping off points and educational objectives are related to this concept in the sense of teaching units. So teaching units take as a learner or worker in this case to their jumping off point. The jumping off point are pretty much what can what can one consider to be the level of skill ability that the worker has to master the one specific job task and then go to the next one. So if you think of learning objectives or education objectives, they should be also programmatically designed to build on jump off points, meaning you create an objective, objectives will have a sequence. The reasoning for objectives is what then, right? I mean, if we, we can jump around in history and see the correlations and notions, but here are some quotes, uh, interesting quotes to know and, and to reference from if you are an instructional designer. So for example, Robert Magger wrote one book, which then led to this notion of the ABCD model. The book that he wrote is preparing instructional objectives is a book that every instructional designer should read and actually consider uh, when looking to create objectives. It already starts with the, the, the identification of three specific questions this is what Magger pretty much uh, put into play. He made it known, first of all, that, you know, there is a point of contention between educators as to what educational objectives are. What are the descriptions of objectives and, and what they should be in, in, in essence, whether they need to be large or small. But regardless of the case, Magger contends the following, which is that any objective or any educational unit should answer three specific questions. And that is, what is it that we must teach? How will we know when we have taught it? and what materials and procedures will work best to teach what we wish to teach. And that kind of simplifies it that, but obviously he has an advantage. It's 1961 and a lot of work has gone before that, especially the work of Tyler, which Tyler, uh, Ralph W. Tyler, uh, focus, his main focus was on evaluation and uh, assessment of curriculum. So curricular assessment, uh, student progress, and evaluation, and that is what drives Tyler into the discussion of objectives because obviously objectives are critical for the evaluation process. In other words, evaluations not just mean a teacher checking whether a student has learned something or an instructional designer determining if the audience actually performed the tasks that were supposed to perform uh, at the level of performance they needed to have is the inclusion of all those things and also evaluating your own design, evaluating your own program. So if you created an instructional program the evaluation of that program so that program can actually be improved uh, on a continuum. 
So for example, Tyler wrote a paper in 1942 in the Journal of Educational Research. And again, links can be found in the description here of the episode where he not only discusses the assumptions of a program in terms of creating good evaluations and evaluating itself, but also what are necessary components for the evaluation procedure. So it is first necessary, and quote, it is first necessary for the school to formulate a statement of its educational objectives. Then these statements of objectives are classified into major types. So obviously when he's writing this, this is prior to Bloom's taxonomy. The main point of Bloom's taxonomy was the classification of evaluation items. It wasn't the creation of learning objectives. This is something that I had confirmed with the publisher of the review of Bloom's taxonomy. So the original Bloom's taxonomy comes from 1956. It was worked over six years. It was the creation of Benjamin Bloom and about six other or seven other contributors. One of those contributors was David, David Crathwall. All these folks, obviously, they passed away since since that, except for uh, Lauren Anderson, who we're still gladly uh, and very happy that he's still around with us. So I interviewed Lauren Anderson a couple of years ago, and the interviews are available on my YouTube channel. And we dive specifically into Bloom's taxonomy and the purpose of Bloom's taxonomy. So the first Bloom's taxonomy comes out of the reaction of according to Lauren Anderson, comes out of the reaction that we had uh, towards the Uniform Service uh, Readjustment Act. So Servicemen Readjustment Act, which is technically known as the GI Bill, this happens in 1945, uh, around uh, June of 1945. Sorry, June of 1944. So it's the Servicemen Readjustment Act of 1944, signed by the president, June 22nd, and that gave way to the, you know, the readjustment or let's say reassimilation of military personnel into civilian life because we have like 30 million people gone to war and now they're all coming back. So if you were going to college in 19, the 1950s, uh, late 1940s and the early 1950s, chances are your the the next person in your class was a veteran if you're not a veteran yourself so veterans were coming in and they were put it that they're given this benefit to go to school to go to colleges and colleges then the idea from benjamin bloom was to create this classification system and create question pools that colleges can use interchangeably if you're in higher indication please use the button here on the page of uh, go to the page of our podcast and anchor and if you like leave a message uh, clarifying some of this um, our our college is still using or you know did, did this last anyway you know our college is using a pool of questions items out there and um, you know that that would be a fascinating thing to know but primarily that was the main the main purpose of that. So many of the folks involved in Bloom's taxonomy were examiners, were psychometric specialists, evaluation specialists, 
what I'm interested in knowing, you know, I guess I don't know the answer, but obviously uh, R.W. Tyler was not involved in the work with Benjamin Bloom. Well, that could mean many things. Um, academics usually, some of them work together, but many of them are often, let's say, in competition. So it's interesting to know whether Tyler was, you know, Tyler was not involved at all, although Tyler was um, published uh, one of the papers that we talked about here later on with uh, Robert Gagné. So Robert Gagné and R.W. Tyler has some collaboration, at least what we can see here in the 1960s. Yes. So educational objectives, learning objectives. When you are doing a learning objective, the purpose of the learning objective is also for the instructional designer is to dictate the scope of what needs to be learned. Um, obviously, what each student or let's say learner or worker needs to achieve in, in, in comprehension to those. And the important thing to know is that then there's there are two versions of Bloom's taxonomy. And the first version is solely focused on evaluation items, on the validation of your test items, not on learning objective creation. So the focus is that when we look at the revision then in 2001, so almost what, uh, not short of 60 years uh, later, uh, you have then or let's say 50 years later. Uh, so 50 years later or so, a little bit less than that, you have in 2001, the revision of Bloom's taxonomy gets published. And this is published with Lauren Anderson and um, David Crothwell, also very well known cognitive psychologist out there by the name of Robert Mayer is involved in this, um, in this affair. But primarily what Bloom's taxonomy then the revision did is take that focus out of assi assessments. It changed the known, uh, you know, they said they never used the pyramid. They used the table. Uh, someone decided to put it in the pyramid and the rest is history. Uh, but yeah, Bloom's taxonomy was never put in a pyramid. Uh, the pyramid came, somebody else had the idea and I guess that stuck because we use pyramids for a lot of things. But uh, as we look at it, we find this pattern that is uh, well known and, and well, it's a pattern that perhaps hasn't been expressed too much in terms of when it comes to uh, learning objectives. So for example, starting with Tyler, they are the, 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 they're the essential component of any educational program. So you have to not only define the objectives, but you had to classify the objectives. One of the quotes from Tyler says, without effort at classification, the objectives are likely to be of various levels of generality and specificity and too numerous for practical, practicable treatment. Meaning that yes, you can run into many objectives, which uh, answers the question is like, how many objectives, how many, you know, how many objectives are necessary or how much how many objectives are enough? How do you know that uh, for a specific task, we need five versus 10 objectives? And there are some guidance provided both by, um, by Lauren Anderson 
in the, in the book, which I recommend that everybody gets, which is the taxonomy for learning, teaching, and assessing, uh, which is the revision of Lund's taxonomy. And so there's recommendations there in terms of that. Um, there is a mention, actually, if we go back to 1919, uh, one of the mentions made by uh, C.R. Allen in terms of achieving a job or teaching unit is that they should have no more, you should have no more than eight um, different um, teaching units. So if we have eight, you know, as long as you get past eight, then that means you need to separate to a different lesson. In today's terms, that probably will mean that you may want to focus your courses on a modular level. Now, meaning if, let's say, for example, if you're teaching emotional intelligence, instead of teaching the four tenets of emotional intelligence or the four variants of emotional intelligence in one course, that you were actually specified those or divide those into four different units or smaller units, because perhaps the objectives within those uh, are more than eight, are more than eight objectives. But that was, you know, that is just a... I guess knowledge, wisdom, and information coming from one of the most successful programs, training programs, uh, prior to training within industry, of course. And uh, that, again, the, everything that we see here keeps taking me back to that original book and that period that perhaps pushed, pushed the country, pushed us to look at things differently and to be... Uh, more relevant into into our practice. So back to educational learning objectives, you know, they have to be there. There's a lot of contention today for people that um, in business or they may say, well, adults don't need to know that. And yes, that's because we have to remember one thing. This notion of learning objectives, educational objectives comes from education, comes from schools and um, but there is a bit of a, there is a little bit of loss of essence if we look at the work of Tyler in the 1930s or in the 1940s uh, as to what happens after Bloom's taxonomy. Because today, in today's world, at least in practice, in instructional design practice, instructional designers are not capable, or many are not capable clearly articulating why do you need learning objectives and how to provide them. And the other part is that there's a need for modification. So you need modification from that process of creating objectives that is, let's say, more academic than applicable to life, to real life, um, because the goals are different. So if the goal of the objective, the goal of the objective should be the goal that achieves the best level of instruction. The other part here, and it's very interesting coming from the book and the, of the revision, in the Bloom Saxana revision, objectives are separated in three different objectives, being one, the global objective, the other one, uh, another class is the educational objective, and then the instructional objective. So the global objective doesn't really have as much detail 
but it, it's global. So it applies to the full function of a group, right? And obviously another part to consider is that the revision of Bloom's taxonomy was not created for uh, instruction in the workplace. It was focused solely on teachers, K through 12 teachers, and specifically, I believe is the fifth and from fifth to eighth grade or something like that. So those are educational approaches to develop educational programs, educational content. And I find it interesting that there is a break, there is a division between educational and instructional objectives, but primarily the main difference between the two is that instructional objectives are those that need to be centered on the achievement of skill acquisition through instruction. Uh, and educational objectives perhaps are more on the general outcome of that um, of that application. So what to follow us in terms of learning objectives today perhaps needs to be a modification, a bit of um, maybe some good knowledge coming from Tyler in terms of how to think about and where those um, objectives come from. It's interesting that this information is not what's prevalent in educational programs today for instructional design. Our W. Tyler clearly specifies some things that um, and considerations that we need to find. So, for example, should we create objectives based on the learner's experience, uh, educational experience? So, you know, in other words, he is calling for the target audience analysis. Should we create objectives based on that? Of course, in a school setting, that may have more uh, leeway to things, but it's also very critical and important because we know that we need to know who the audience is, who the learners are, and the capabilities, and that may might as well influence the objectives that each folks are presented to. So it's tailored instruction. The, the, I mean, he calls out, like I said in the beginning, in this uh, general statement that he wrote, general statement of evaluation in 1942, uh, Tyler writes about the different steps, and we mentioned the first one, which is the classification of the steps. That's what Bloom's taxonomy is for, is to classify your objectives. And that's what the revision really focuses on because it changed the categories or the learning levels from uh, being noun-based to being action-based or verb-based. So you actually start with an action verb. As we discussed before, going back to the first episode and the instructor, the man in the job, in the book, you have clear statements for supervisors that completely mimic what a learning objective is considered to be uh, Today, especially if we know the notion of the terminal learning objective, which was introduced by Magger in the 1961 book, and the terminal learning objective or TLO is the statement that kind of encompasses the whole instructional, let's say, program or whole instructional unit that you're creating. So in other words, uh, mentioning the audience, the behavior, the inter-behavior, the conditions, um, and the degree of performance. 
and that reads sort of as you know customer service representatives that's the audience will perform returns according to whatever standard within 30 minutes right so the standard is the business policy or anything like that that's your your degree of performance or conditions as well um, the behavior is to do the returns and obviously the um, the degree of performance and the conditions mixed in so the conditions can be time-based or they can be based on um, the environment or the the specific environmental pieces that a learner has to compete with or use or tools or anything else and then the degree of performance is the actual measurement piece of it that you will use then in your evaluation program to determine whether your set of instruction accomplished the thing that you were going to do so i mean it's really in a simplistic form that is what it should be and the, and the problem that people i guess many junior designers may have is the fact that they have to face the truth of evaluation through the good crafting of learning objectives if you are not developing good objectives then your evaluation will be botched it will be biased and that's the key component here for the importance of learning objectives or education objectives as you call as we may call them so it's a very interesting in literature and it takes way too much time too much more time really to dive into all of this i think there will be an episode that will be completely dedicated just to bloom's taxonomy but in terms of learning objectives and educational objectives we don't really you know after bloom's taxonomy and the revision which a lot of people do not know the revision and if you find a book published after 2002 that doesn't mention the revision then really the author should be sort of question in a way as to how they don't find this information and i've seen a few books that do this but the the key message here is that the objectives are very important uh, they guide the instructional activities and methods the last thing to discuss is the discussion of alignment and this is a big purpose here and this comes from tyler which is aligning the objectives to the evaluation methodology so there's sort of a triple alignment that you have to consider the objectives will determine pretty much the instructional activity and the instructional activities to complement the objective to achieve the evaluation item in other words the task the evaluation item this can be seen clearly in one example which is the example of the inner service procedures for instructional systems design which is the model that i wrote an article on you'll find the the link in the description as well uh, that gives us the introduction to what is known today as ADI, right as the ADI um, framework and primarily in the analysis and design phase as described in the ipisd by robert branch and uh, and friends i will say um robert branch which was at florida state university and had the guidance of robert gagne in the back end um lists the steps of addy and in those steps we'll see the analysis of the job under the analysis the task and functions involved but obviously when we get to the point of the design phase 
you are to develop objectives. And right after developing objectives, you develop tests. And that means that you have this alignment between the instructional materials, the objectives, and the tests, because the tests are validating the instructional activity as the thing that actually helps achieve the goal, which are the objectives. Hope this makes sense. And uh, now you can start thinking more thoroughly in your practice into that. But that's the main uh, alignment, one of the key important parts of creating learning objectives. And in the question of applying this to the workplace, how do we set this up to the workplace? Well, learning objectives need to be communicated in one way or another. It shouldn't be communicated in a way that we're kids in school, which is usually what is what is mostly seen. And that's when you see statements such as, hey, identify this and identify that and develop this and develop that. The main thing is that people need to be concerned with um, the right classification of the action verbs. And for that, you need to read uh, Bloom's taxonomy and not be based on the 1956 version of it, but the 2001 version of it. And once you have that, then in the workplace, you have to modify things to think more about the accomplishment of the task, because again, instruction or training can only do so much. It cannot guarantee performance over time unless training, you know, in today's world, we don't have people training every day, right? And so there is learning every day, of course. That can be because of the situations that happen at work and everything else, but people are not training every day. So if we get to a point where people can actually, let's say, uh, train every day, then great. You may not need um, all of that emphasis on don't checking objectives and going back and forth, but there must be a modification that you do in the workplace and then this should be communicated in the sense of the tasks that need to be achieved. So, so it should be closer related to the tasks that need to be achieved. After Bloom's taxonomy, there has been quite a bit of work either criticizing Bloom's taxonomy, even after the revision, criticizing Bloom's taxonomy or not. But in the period between Bloom's taxonomy, in between 1956 and 2001, there have been like another 10 or 15 different frameworks for taxonomies so different taxonomies uh, that feed off the original taxonomy and also complement what the revision did so for example um, they are in the book of as we see in the book of uh, lauren anderson the revision which is called again a taxonomy for learning teaching and assessing, uh, you'll notice that they are mentioned, they do go through a good amount of time addressing those. And there's one in particular that I was looking at, but I'll name them here. Uh, they were classified or let's say divided into multi-dimensional and uh, unidimensional frameworks, classification systems. So. The unidimensional ones are known as Garlack and Sullivan's taxonomy of commonly taught behaviors. That one uh, is, comes out in 1967 or so. And um, 
we have also the Osabel and Robinson six hierarchically order categories. That's 1969. So it's a, it's a system that again, bases a lot of things out of the original process. We have Metfasil, Michael and Kirshner's. So, I mean, they are, um, they are over 10 different, uh, different ones. I mean, it, over 10 different uh, categories. Of course, Gagne's hierarchy of learning, which uh, interesting to take a look at. It was a, a framework particularly attracted to workers in instructional design. So obviously, we know the relationship between Gagne and instructional design. It's probably the most relevant of the academics for instructional design. And that's where um, he brings out the hierarchy to have signal learning, stimulus response learning, chaining, discrimination learning, you know, the, the ability to distinguish or uh, differentiate. Uh, concept learning, principle learning, and problem solving. If we look at problem solving, there's a strict, uh, there's always a straight connection between uh, Robert Gagné and David Merrill. David Merrill, uh, I got to meet uh, a few years ago, and David Merrill uh, did talk to me about the influence that Gagné had on his work. And obviously, for David Merrill, if we go to 1994, David Merrill is known for uh, having his own framework. And that framework uh, is the context performance uh, matrix. So what is known uh, out of his component display theory work in '94. You know, back to learning objectives and their and their relevance. Well, they're I will say critically and critical components of knowing what you're going to teach. Just like Robert Magger said. Uh, identifying how you're going to establish that that happened and you know and and how do you improve things going further or going uh, going beyond that and if you don't have learning objectives then that's when you can see the long threaded um, aimless type of uh, instructional outcomes uh, you don't really have any outcomes because the objectives haven't been set up with that said, then, as in, in the workplace, you have to sort of modify this to be centered around the specific goals that you're driving to, and those are the needs. And as Tyler said once um, in his uh, 1942 paper, Tyler also mentions that the needs, uh, what's known as the needs of the learning needs of the training needs, it's the performance gap. So it's actually the desire standard as an instructional designer you have a standard you, you're going to gather from the business hey people need to have less than 10 complaints a month in customer service or you know we should have one call resolution in 90 percent of our interactions let's give you just just those examples that's a standard that needs to be met and doesn't mean that everybody's going to meet that but as an instructional designer then you provide the structures and the uh, support guidance to achieve those and you the only way you can know if this happens or not is by evaluating it evaluating that what you've done actually achieved what it was going to do so learning objectives are super important whether you want to frame them today as performance objectives or anything else from the beginning of time 
they have been related to that and they have been concerned with that. It is the bad practice of instructional design or, or let's say the bad practice of learning objectives that perhaps gives you the idea that they weren't like that from the beginning. Well, thank you again for listening to Style of Origins. Uh, I hope uh, you had a good one and I wish you the best here in this year 